Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Paragons of Earth, the exciting new superhero comic I'm working on with Thomas DJ and Eric Johns. For this comic, we've unearthed a number of obscure and forgotten Golden Age superheroes, plucked them from the depths of the public domain, and completely redesigned and reinvented them for the modern day. It's an exciting cast of characters, and we're throwing them up against the threat of a Lovecraftian apocalypse. It's got action, it's got drama, it's got alternate dimensions and alien worlds, and it's even got a giant shark in a Hawaiian shirt. What else could you want? But in order to make this comic a reality, we need your help. The comic is crowdfunding now, and you can help support it by going to crowdfunder.com slash paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder, without the E, dot com slash paragonscomic. You'll be able to find that link in the show notes, so please double check if you didn't quite get it. Please help make this comic a reality. We are counting on your support. And now, on with the show. chance to say goodbye are you okay yeah no i'm i'm glad to have a chance to thank you just doing my job no thanks necessary miss no it, it is you saved my life you saved all of our lives that was a very how miss how? Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. How? How did you know it was me? What do you mean? I've known you my whole life. I've seen you naked. You don't think I would recognize you because I can't see your cheekbones? What is this? Why, why is your skin green? Why are you glowing? What the hell is with that mask? Came with the outfit. Cool, huh? So it all works because of this magic ring? No, there's no such thing as magic. Intergalactic green peacekeepers, thousands of them, but uh, no. I'm not making it up. <laughs> well, ugh, I mean, when we were kids, who'd have thought? <laughs> I did, actually. I called this early on. I said one day I'll be a green space cop. Here I am. <laughs> Okay, so at the party, how did you make that big green ramp thing? Anything I see in my mind, like I can create. I just have to focus. Anything? Anything. <laughs> Happy birthday. Better late than never. Um, okay, so how does it work? They just, um, call you on your cell, cat in a tree, downtown Milky Way? <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think it works exactly like that. Well, technically speaking, um, I actually sort of, uh, quit. What do you mean? How? 
obvious. It's a lot like quitting anything else, really. I don't understand. How do, how do you walk away from something like that? Is this even possible? Oh, I think we both know I'm pretty good at walking away. If for once you didn't quit something you cared about, what's the worst that could happen? Flipping that page. Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and welcoming a new guest today, and that is Ralph Puma. Ralph, how are you doing today? Very good. Thank you so much for having me. I am very excited to dig into this film. Well, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, I've been listening to you for uh, for a while whenever you appear on uh, our mutual friend uh, Anthony's uh, Digging for Kryptonite show and always enjoyed your um, interactions on there and uh, the Grant Morrison commentary you've done before. So looking forward to, to talking with you here about this movie today. Yeah, Anthony, Anthony and I have known each other for years. We used to work together at Alternate. That's how we met. And then from there, just a friendship developed. And he used my music in a movie of his. So it was really it, him podcasting was just a natural progression in his like artistic endeavors. And I'm just lucky to be a part of it every now and then. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a great show. Your appearances are always uh, always a treat. Um, I'm hoping that you and Mike, uh, I'm blanking on his uh, his last name, but... San Gregorio. Uh, yes, yes. I would love to see you two do a Grant Morrison deep dive podcast <laughs> at some point. Yeah, for sure. I would love to do that with him too. I, Him and I always bother Anthony. We have a small group <laughs> chat, just the three of us, and we're always pestering him. When are we going to do the Invisibles? When are we going to do this? <laughs> there is an Invisibles podcast, but it's been dormant for years. So definitely, I would love to, for someone to to jump into that. Um, yeah, I, I did I, my I, own. I did my own dip into the Grant Morrison podcasting realm a few years back with uh, New X Men. So I've already. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, that was a it was a fun experience going back through that. That's awesome. Um, but before we uh, jump too much into the movie, why don't you tell uh, the people a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm Ralph Puma. I'm primarily a musician. Uh, I was in a punk band for most of my life, and now I just kind of release singles and make music as you know time allows. Uh, I'm a filmmaker as well. I created a show about a comic book store. Um, it's called Solace. You can find it on YouTube. Um I'm currently re-editing it into a feature, so for the 10-year anniversary of it being released next year, hopefully I'll have it all cut together into like a cohesive like hour and a half long kind of feature, and we'll maybe see what we can do with that. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, do you have a time frame on when you're hoping that'll be released? Uh, we started filming in like July of 2014, so if I can hit it for July 2014 to do that, that'd be fantastic. But I don't want to put any deadlines on it because I've still got, I think, 80 hours of footage to go through. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I know how deadlines work with being an author. I've <laughs> There's been stuff I've been promising that was supposed to come out and has not yet come out, so I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, you, you mentioned that you um, you worked at a comic book store with with Anthony, uh, but how did you get into superheroes in the first place? All right. So apparently this is the way my mom told it to me, but I'll tell like her perspective leading into my perspective, which was in like first or second grade. I wasn't really like interested in any of the books being offered at that time. I was either reading ahead or I was bored by what was available. And uh, so we kind of wandered into this convenience store um, 
and on the rack she just basically was like pick something and so i pulled a spider-man comic and a green lantern comic and those were kind of my first two and it was kyle rayner green lantern with like the introduction of the character fatality and the ben riley when he had taken over for peter when he was in the hospital so those were kind of my first two introductions to comic books in the first place and then i was hooked um what really like made me latch on to green lantern was i was wandering um one of like the you know like how the malls sometimes have like the flea markets where everybody sets up like their like cards and their comic books i was wandering through a flea market in the cross county mall and this guy had a array of all of the uh total justice action figures. oh i remember those <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and so those were cool and i had known those and you know obviously batman and superman and they like to me it was almost like i knew who those characters were from movies beforehand mm -hmm. but there was a parallax action figure a hal jordan parallax action figure and i was like wait that's green lantern and the guy there was like no it's not and i was like no no that's green lantern he's got the symbol and he's it's it's like and he's like, no, no, he's a bad guy. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and I remember just like being like, wait, explain this. And that whole concept of like Hal's journey and descent into madness. I don't know why it was like, you know how like kids latch on to like Venom because he's so terrifying mm. that like he's like this uh, wonderful character to get into because he's so scary, but he's kind of funny and he's kind of interesting but he's accessible to children. He's not too scary that he doesn't mm -hmm. scare them away. It was something like that about Parallax that like completely enthralled me with the Green Lantern universe. And I wanted to learn more about all of that. Awesome. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, I remember the, those Total Justice action figures. I was never a big DC guy growing up. I was always more into the Marvel side of things. But, you know, I knew, you know, like you, Batman and Superman from from the movies, they were as far as... as far back as my memory goes i've already i've always had batman and superman in my life i've always had knowledge of them but so i can remember when i was introduced to spider-man and the x-men and all the marvel characters but i cannot remember the first time i was introduced to to batman and superman but i do remember those uh total justice action figures and at first being drawn to them because it was billed as like the batman total justice line yeah and so you had Batman in there, you had Superman with the with the mullet back at the time, and then they yep. also had like Green Lantern and Flash and Parallax, and yeah, I I had all of those. Um, and then later when they expanded the line, they brought in like Zariel that that I love that because I loved I had gotten into Grant Morrison's uh, JLA at the time too. Yep. Um, and I think that was probably my first introduction to Green Lantern was those Total Justice action figures. So my first Green Lantern was Kyle Rayner in the in the realm of of toys. Oh, that's awesome! Very cool. Uh, so, um, so that's kind of how you got introduced. So, is uh, have you tended to gravitate more towards Green Lantern pretty much the the whole time you've been a comic book fan? Has your mm -hmm. fandom remained pretty strong with with him the whole time? Yeah, I would say I even carried through the Jeff John stuff, even though I was more of a Kyle person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Nightwing was pretty early on for me, so I kind of followed through any of the Nightwing, Bat Family stuff. Uh, Superman was kind of lost on me because when I started, it was... Uh, that what Anthony was talking about with the uh, that was it the Titans where you could like stack the comics and it like built like yes. the giant. So like Superman was almost lost to me entirely at that point because 
I couldn't get into those stories mm. because it was that terrible arc. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, but you know, X-Men really, I gravitated towards X-Men. I gravitated towards Spider-Man and leading up to, I would say final crisis. I kind of stuck with DC and Marvel. Mm-hmm. Once final crisis happened, it kind of felt like an ending to me mm-hmm. and it was almost like, all right, what else is out there? And that's when I started digging into like walking dead and invincible. And I started branching out into much more cause I was old enough to, you know, have my own funds. And so mm-hmm. now I'm going through the comic book shop and I was like, this looks interesting and no one can tell me it's too mature for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like invincible walking dead. Um, all of that uh, kind of, you know, kept me into like the you know image stuff but i kept gravitating to- back towards batman rip and final crisis and i didn't know why because i like a lot of people had like almost this visceral reaction towards both of them you mm-hmm. know Batman rip is too convoluted it doesn't make sense final crisis it's supposed to be this great event but i don't really get it but mm-hmm. still it, it somehow felt like an ending to me so I kept going back to those books and I was like, okay, who wrote these? Grant Morrison. What else did he write? Wait, what do you mean he wrote that Justice League run I loved when I was a child? Wait, what do you mean he wrote New X? So it was like, oh, I was starting to put together these these pieces of like who this person was. And I then started exploring, you know, I started with Doom Patrol and that was incredible. And I was like, I need more of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then uh, that's what eventually led me to The Invisibles. And after I had read The Invisibles is when I heard him talk on Fat Man on Batman about his. Oh, like, I remember that episode. Experience. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, man, this guy, there's something there. And that also brought me into like studying and loving the occult and it was just this whole Mm. rabbit hole like from grant morrison and comic books that led me to pretty much everything i love and Mm. how i behave as a human and move about within the world (laughs) i'm guessing you've read super gods then as well too yes okay absolutely i I love that book i i devoured that like in one sitting pretty much it was just so addictive um but yeah grant morrison they uh I, I had read some of their justice, their JLA stuff, because like, it was like the big book at the time when I was reading Wizard back in the day. And mm. so so I'd read some stuff here and there of that. But then uh, it was it was New X-Men that really got me into hit, into them. And then um, from there, I branched out into ended up reading up the whole JLA stuff and then branching out into uh, Doom Patrol and, and then the Invisibles and 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 their bat. And yeah, like like you, like the Batman stuff and the the final crisis stuff at first I was kind of, it was kind of lost on me, but over time and, you know, through multiple readings, plus hearing other interpretations such as the episode um, you did with, um, I think, I think you did the final crisis episode with Anthony. Yeah. One of them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, that gave me a whole new perspective on, on, on those comics and just going back and rereading them now. I'm just like, it's, it's one of those books that just had it rewards so multiple readings of it, even stuff like Marvel Boy. Like, it's just like this one little mini series they did back in the day. And going back and rereading it now with like all the corporate stuff going on, it it rings so much more relevant than it even New X-Men reads so much more relevant now than it did at the time. Yeah, they they have a way of their their foresight into the direction that industry and the direction that society moves is really 
they they're really onto something and i think mm-hmm. it's their love of robert anton wilson and yeah, his yeah. kind of thought processes that get them to that place absolutely yes um so what kind of stuff are you interested in lately what's kind of been grabbing your attention these days uh, I've been actually going down a Stephen King rabbit hole. Uh, I've, you know, I've loved Stephen King most of my life, loves his movies, loves some of his books, but I'm kind of doing it all in order for the first time. Uh, I'm just kind of listening to audiobooks on long walks and kind of that's been keeping me company. I've got uh, Luda coming up, though, which is Grant Morrison's new book that I haven't checked out yet. So that's Oh, I my... didn't even hear about that. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's like... Um, it's a it's about a drag queen who like brings someone into the occult so i'm like all about it is that is that a comic or is that a prose it's a it's a prose novel oh okay okay interesting yeah. i'll have to keep came out about that. like two years ago uh oh but wow okay. i yeah i kind of gravitate more towards uh audiobooks because i can mm-hmm. digest them so much yeah so much quicker listening on like two times speed and all of that. right yeah 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 <laughs> i do that with nonfiction books a lot yeah same um, yeah, for me, I think what I've been into, it, it's tough. I, I've had so little time these days because I've had like marathon podcast recording sessions. So most of the stuff I've been watching has been has been for this show and, and the the other show I do, Japan on Film. So I haven't had a whole lot of time to, to dive into stuff just for pure enjoyment. But um, I have, just like the per- past few days, I started reading um, Batman uh, Beyond the uh, Beyond the White Knight. So it's the oh nice the, the third or I mean I know I know he did the Harley Quinn one too. So I guess that I guess that was like two point five or something. But this is like the third major volume in in the series, and I loved the first two, like White Knight and uh, and Curse the White Knight. So then so when they when I saw this one had come out, I've been waiting for it to to come on sale on Amazon. And then finally it came on sale like last week. So I bought it right away. Nice. Um, I haven't, de- I haven't dove into any of those. So I don't know what like that whole else worlds or that reality is. It's really cool. It's, it's a, uh, it's an interesting, I mean, he does some interesting things too, just like with the changes he makes the bat family. Like for some reason he has Jason being the first Robin and Dick being the second one, which is um, an interesting flip on the dynamic. Um, also, Joker is actually Jack Napier, so he got that from the first movie. But he also incorporates, like, he's got the different Batmobiles, and he shows, he draws, like, all the different Batmobiles from the movies and the TV shows and, like, the oh, Batcave awesome. and stuff like that. So he, he mixes in all these different aspects from uh, different interpretations uh, of Batman over the years. And, yeah, it's a really interesting, it's been a really interesting series, and it, it's really cool, like, reading it. And now in Beyond the White Knight, obviously, he's brought in Terry McGinnis and Derek Powers and tied them into tied Derek powers into Batman's origin story in a, in a way. So it's all been a pretty cool read. So I'm really been uh, enjoying digging into that. And it's, and it's all correct me if I'm wrong. All Sean, Sean Murphy, right? Yes. He's doing, uh, he's doing, he's writing and he's doing the art and his art style is, is amazing. Like I, I keep like whenever DC is announcing these new animated stuff, I'm just like, do the white knight already. (laughs) This would be so cool if you did this. Yeah, Punk Rock Jesus is one of those. If I could ever direct something that was like a, I want to do Punk Rock Jesus so bad. I've got to read that. I, I read descriptions of it, and it it sounds really cool. I wasn't aware that was Murphy though. Yeah, so that's it's that's really another cool. reason why I definitely have to pick that up. Um, okay, so you know we hinted at this earlier, but today the movie we're talking about is the the much maligned uh, 2011 Green Lantern film. Uh, Starring Ryan Ryan Reynolds as Hal Jordan and uh, directed by Martin Campbell, uh, 
and surprisingly, like um, Greg Berlanti had wrote the script for this. Uh, I didn't realize that until just now. Um, and it, it's kind of funny going back and seeing this and seeing like how how far Greg Berlanti's come since this movie, this inauspicious beginning to his DC career, as far as I know, at least. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was looking through all of that as well. And, you know, Martin Campbell's has some of my favorite movies in there as well. Like the, the Zorro films and Mm -hmm. Casino Royale is so good. Casino. He's the, probably the two best modern bond films would be Goldeneye and Casino Royale. And he directed both of them. Yep. Yeah, that that's what surprised me because I was so looking forward to this movie. Even like you know me, I'm I'm not really a big Green Lantern fan. Um, I never really caught on to Green Lantern the comics. Most of my exposure to the character was through the Justice League stuff. Um, and then you know, I had eventually read like some stuff here and there. Like I read Emerald Twilight, I read uh, Rebirth, and like the the I think it was the No Fear arc that the first one he did after Rebirth. Um, but that was pretty much it outside of like the the just league stuff i was never that familiar with uh green lantern but from what i had read i had always leaned more towards kyle as my green lantern um and hal just never really interested me that much but i love ryan reynolds and i love martin campbell so when both of them were announced i'm just like okay so this is probably a way that might get me interested in in hal jordan and it didn't quite work out that way yeah. Um, so just a side note, when I was like 14, I had written out six movies to make a Green Lantern movie series. So I was very invested in Green Lantern mm. becoming a film. And when it was announced, I was so excited because I was also a fan of Ryan Reynolds from like Just Friends. And mm. like, uh, And I thought he would be a perfect way to give Hal some personality because, you know, Hal Jordan, cocky kind of conservative and that's kind of like Mm. all you kind of really get about Hal and I think Ryan Reynolds would have added in a lot of interesting layers to the performance and I was very excited and all over my social media I was posting about it and I was like this is going to be the one like you thought Iron like you thought Mm. these movies were good like not Iron Man but like you thought these movies were good but like this is the superhero movie that's going to really show you what these films can do (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, boy, was I disappointed <laughs> at yeah. the time. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think back about what I thought at the time, because I was already in Japan when this movie came out. So I don't think I even saw it in the theater, because uh, especially back then, like the the superhero re- release schedule was like usually like three months or more behind uh, America. And it wasn't until Avengers hit big that then they started releasing them almost same day as they do in America now. Um, oh, wow. So yeah, I did not see this in the theater. I think I might have seen it like uh, on a um, like a download of it or something. Uh, originally, a pirated uh, cam version or something was what I saw of it. And um, yeah, I you know for the longest time I was trying to think like, oh, it's not too bad. I eventually bought it on DVD when it came out and you know rewatched it a few times. Like yeah, I, and I think I had told myself I liked it a lot more after I'd watched and I think a big reason why was because uh, of Ryan Reynolds. Cause I, I really wanted to like this movie at the time. I, you know, I think I, I like you, I, I really liked Ryan Reynolds in um, just friends. You know, my first introduction with him was uh Van Wilder. I've been looking forward to him playing Deadpool and he's one of those actors that 
yeah, he plays kind of the same character in every single movie, but it's an endearing character. And like, yeah. even if the movie's bad, it's still entertaining to watch him in it. So, um, I think I'd kind of convinced myself that, the, and also I've, I'm also kind of one of those people who, when everybody says, Oh, this movie's terrible. It's terrible. I'm kind of like, well, maybe there's some, I, I, I kind of like to play a little bit of a devil's advocate and be like, no, there's some good stuff in it. So, um, and then when I was rewatching it uh, for this episode, it was not that good. <laughs> like, uh, it's I'm not going to say it's a completely worthless movie. Like, it's not like Morbius level or anything like that. But it, it's got some good things in it. But overall, it's just kind of meh. It, it just kind of drags a lot. And um, and and the this we can talk about the cgi too because i think that's also a, a weakness of this film in in retrospect too um but what what were some things you thought about it when you first saw it yeah so i was obsessed i not like with the movie but leading up to it i was like mm. refreshing every day i was like oh my god they cast michael clark duncan and oh my god like it was like mm. super nerding out every like bit of information I was deep diving on like IGN, comic book movie, wherever I could find any info on this movie. I was like tracking it because this was something that as a kid, I always dreamed that I was going to be the one to do it. So, mm -hmm. but I, you know, obviously you get older and reality sets in and like, all right, at least I'm going to be able to be around when it exists and the movie is going to happen. So following it as crazily as I could, um, I had my first moment of panic when I saw the suit for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this does not look good. Okay, but maybe, maybe, maybe it'll work on screen film. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. And then I saw like all the alien suits and I was like, okay, I see what they're doing. I see how it works. Mm -hmm. Great. Then I went to the theaters and I remember not feeling much of anything and mm -hmm. being like, well, this is the thing I love and they, they kind of did it, but it's nowhere near what it should have been. Mm -hmm. And I think this time I watched the extended version for the first time. I don't, it was only a couple scenes here and there. Yeah. From what I, I looked into seeing about the extended version, cause I'd heard that it was out there. Uh, but from the research I had done, it didn't seem like there were, any real it didn't seem like you know when i heard there's an extended version i was thinking oh maybe it's like a daredevil situation where the extended version is actually much better than the yeah. than the um the theatrical one but when i done some research on on it most people that i had that had talked about it said that yeah it's not really that much different no it just adds in what should have been the beginning of the movie which mm -hmm. is young hal and exploring just a small bit of like his dynamic with Hector and young Carol and his father, and then him watching mm -hmm. what happened to his dad. So like, that's really the, the, the crux of what is added. Okay. And that doesn't even feel like it, it was really necessary. Cause I thought that the, what we got in the movie is established that pretty well in the theatrical yeah. cut. So I didn't feel like there was anything. I mean, I think there, there is definitely stuff that you could have added in there. I mean, I mean we could talk about the whole, idea of throwing parallax into this movie and just like how <laughs> i think that's one of the biggest problems with this movie is that they cram a, a way too much stuff into into this one film too yeah i wanted to come in hot and really defend it because i mean you're getting a ryan reynolds taika waititi film mm -hmm. like 
that in and of itself should be like a selling point for people nowadays because of you know everything Taika's done and Deadpool and mm-hmm. it's kind of this early rumblings of like all of nerddom is kind of shoved into this film yeah and I was really hoping that this next watch through I'd be able to fully like be able to be like nope I'm on board I was wrong because I, I I for the longest time you know was kind of anti the x-men and raimi spider-man films Mm -hmm. but now i'm watching it with um my seven-year-old stepson and i'm like oh these movies are actually great like Mm -hmm. they're they're like solid films i don't know what was wrong with me where maybe it was just like they're not exactly what i was looking for but (laughs) they're still like you get you actually get the x-men you actually get spider-man and you get the themes and they're done really well yeah so now going back to Green Lantern after having watched most of those again, I'm like, it's it's completely missing the mark because the themes aren't even there. The mm-hmm. themes aren't even clear. And all of the stuff that I would have loved to have seen more of, they shove into a 10 minute sequence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so I can't defend it as fervently as I would have liked to. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing um, when you'd asked to come onto this. I'm just like, oh, Green Lantern, this would be good. I can, you know, I get a chance to to defend this movie because I think it's actually not as bad as people say. And while I think I still believe that to some extent, I like I, I don't think it's a, like I said, I, I don't think it's a completely terrible movie. It's it's got some moments in it, but I I also after I watched it, I'm just like, yeah, I don't think I can really defend this a lot. There's a there's some things I can defend, but there's a lot that just kind of misses the mark um but one thing you said in there i'm curious about because me again not being very big into green lantern what would you say kind of are those major themes of of the of the concept um you know obviously overcoming fear right so they talk about it a Mm -hmm. lot but i don't think there's anything you know there's the moment where he's fighting parallax and he's looking away and he's scared of him, but then he looks at him and he does the thing and it's a powerful (laughs) moment, but I don't think it like encapsulates like overcoming fear because his whole thing was getting over the fear of losing his father. And that Mm. kind of goes away. You know what I mean? All of these things that they're seeing in the beginning of the film, just taking it as it is not even thinking about the comic book itself, but just taking the film as it is. You set up that what happened with his father gave him fear, but you don't really resolve that aspect of it. You Mm -hmm. know, he overcomes being afraid of, you know, and running away, but that's not, it's not even really explained to why he's running away so much. You know, it's just, there's no, nothing kind of ties together. And I felt that way about Hammond and Hal as well. They don't really, you know, they're both coming from privilege. They're both kind of given, they're both following in their parents' footsteps, but one kind of feels like a loser mm-hmm. and that's what's kind of their battle. And it's, and that's kind of not really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Hammond that... is jealous of Hal, right? Mm-hmm. Like that is something that you can absolutely play up. But I don't think there was enough moments where you see Hector seeing Hal from a distance and yeah. feeling that. Well, yeah, I mean, that scene at the party when they um, they see each other and they start talking, I, I was I remember the first time watching it kind of being a little bit surprised the fact that they are. Oh, they they know each other. OK, this this um, this feels like it's kind of coming out of nowhere. And then the whole and they try it. 
they try and throw in the fact that they've got this backstory and they know each other. And yeah, maybe the extended edition makes that a little bit more clear, but, um, uh, but it still felt pretty, it still felt like a pretty forced interaction. Not only that, but also, and also, you know, I think credit to Hal too. Like when, um, uh, you know, Hector's father comes in, he starts praising Hal, like Hal kind of in, he's like indirectly trying to, you know, throw some support Hector's way too. He's like, well, you know, I couldn't do what I do without the, without the smart guys building the the planes in the first place and all yeah. this kind of stuff. And there's just like zero acknowledgement from Hector at all. And I felt, um, and I felt like there could have been something a little bit more to, to play with there at least. Absolutely. I, I, I was, because I don't think the performances are bad. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people say that the performances are bad, and you know some of Blake Lively's choices are questionable. Mm-hmm. But outside of like questionable choices, which aren't bad, once again, they're very big choices that she's making in certain scenes. Um, you also have Sarsgaard doing the most. Like he mm-hmm. is, like his screams in that are like Roger Rabbit, like the judge, <laughs> terrifying sometimes. You know, but they're both huge, like. She's not giving like huge choices like that, but she is still making choices that are interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody in this film does. I don't think any of the performances are bad, but I agree with you that the pacing is so bland mm. and, and boring. I, I like remember like I think it was right after the the race car scene at the dinner party, and I like scrubbed for time, and I was like, "Oh, there's an hour left." <laughs> 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 I was thinking that too. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so you like shove in all of this Oa stuff really fast, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, boom, 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 boom. And that's all the stuff that I would have loved to have seen more of. Like give more training, show more mm-hmm. recruits coming in because, you know, Green Lanterns are basically cannon fodder. All of these Green Lanterns are dying. Why isn't there a big recruitment happening? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, yeah, the, the, that's what I think. The, the things I love the most about this is the stuff on Oa. I think that's when the film really kind of um, is is firing on all cylinders. Like when, when Hal goes to Oa and he's meeting the other Green Lanterns and, you know, he's training with Sinestro and Kilowog. I love those parts of the movie. I thought those are the best parts yeah. of the film. And it's just like even, you know, yeah, the CGI is kind of wanky, um, but it's still that's still what I feel like everybody is actually having fun in those scenes. Whereas yeah. the rest of the movie, it, it just feels like they they're kind of going through the motions for the rest of it. Yeah. I think that early, like early on, I love the, the verse, the AI like air fight scene. Mm -hmm. Like there's something about that, that it just works. It brings you into the movie. The movie feels fast paced. Like it has like a top gun kind of vibe, this Mm -hmm. whole like opening of the film. I think you don't really need the, the beginning exposition. Like who, like, we we want to hear about the guardians and sector mm. 2814 but like what audience goer is going to like you're starting with that yeah yeah <laughs> especially it's such a bad place to start especially because it you know my late co-host he used to say that the the opening image of a movie is like you know the the first scene in the movie it really kind of sets the tone for the rest of the movie and that that opening scene in that movie it's this really terrible looking cgi creature that's attacking the the green lantern it's just like yet yeah, and i'm and i when i was re-watching it last night and i was thinking about what he used to say about that i'm like 
yep, <laughs> that really does kind of set the tone for this movie. You're going to get yeah. this really kind of like cheesy looking CGI monster just rushing at you. Yeah. And, and, and it, it's, it's such a, it's such a, like you have Hal who is supposed to be this point of view character, mm-hmm. right? You're fo- you should be following the story along with him. You started yes. as a kid, you go into this, you don't, people don't know what to expect. Like no one is, no one knows what Green Lantern is. This is an introduction to something completely new mm-hmm. to people. Everyone knows Batman. Everyone knows Superman. This is before Guardians of the Galaxy. There has not been a good space superhero yet. Mm-hmm. And you start with this just like five minute exposition dump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm already out. Like, I, if, I, if I'm watching this and I'm like, all right, well, I guess this is that kind of sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no, yeah, I think you're right about the that uh, that dogfight sequence. I think, you know, you open up the movie with that. I mean, that's a that's a killer opening. It gives you, those, like you said, those top gun vibes. It gives you a sense of Hal as a character right from the start without going like the... Like him waking up in bed with this random girl, too. I thought that was kind of just... Um, Un, kind of like unnecessary like it wasn't that it was bad for his character it just felt like uh i feel like there's a better way to get introduced to this guy yeah i i think you know you have this top gun um one of my friends always said that the only way to do green lantern right would be to do um oh my god i am completely blanking on the film now but it'll come back to me <laughs> uh de- training day you do training day oh yeah and yeah and that's it <laughs> and you have a Green Lantern movie with just that. <laughs> that's a that's an interesting way to do it, yeah, because you've got the, you know, Sinestro is kind of like the Denzel Washington character, and then, yeah, and Hal is like the, the Ethan Hawke. That would definitely work, but um, I remember thinking about when you said Top Gun, it too, I remember thinking, like, you know, back in the day, like, it would have been cool to see, like, Tom Cruise in, like, a, a Hal Jordan type of role, because that I think that would have fit back in his, like, Top Gun days. Absolutely. And if you'd done this kind of like a mix of Top Gun and Training Day, I think that would have been a a really interesting route to take. Um, And but and, you know, it's so weird because you were talking about the cast, too. And I was thinking about the cast, too, as I was watching this. And it's like, my God, this has got some amazing spot on casting. Like you've got, you know, like we said, you know, Ryan Reynolds as as Hal, like. I was, I'm also like with you, like I've never felt that Hal had much of a personality. Um, I know a lot of Green Lantern fans are probably going to want to roast me alive for saying that, but that was just always kind of my impression of him. And, you know, you get Ryan Reynolds. It's very similar. It's, you could have had a very similar thing like with the Downey as, as Tony Stark. Cause, and the Iron Man comparisons are so interesting because you could tell that DC wanted this to be their Iron Man movie. Yeah. Um, and, that is a good comparison because like Tony, you know, like you said, Hal is kind of like this cocky, but conservative, but also very conservative character. That's also Tony Stark in the comics for a lot to a large extent too. And, and so what they do is they, they bring in Robert Downey Jr. He brings in this more, you know, kind of snarky personality to it and makes him a little bit funnier, a little bit more endearing by doing that as opposed to, to Tony in the comics, who is a little, a much more dry and he's not as, uh, he's not as entertaining to, to read about. And you could have had a very similar situation with, with Hal Jordan, where you'd have, you know, Ryan Reynolds coming in, he can do cocky, sure, but he's also, he's got this endearing personality that, you know, you don't hate him because he's cocky. And, and yeah, it's, it's just weird how much they missed the mark on, um, this role with that. Also, 
Bradley Cooper was another one who was up for the role too, who would have done a, a pretty good job in that too, or Chris Pine too. Yeah, um, any of those. And yeah, Blake Lively, uh, she didn't impress me too much, but I think, like you said, that's probably more just because of the way her character is written, because this is very much like, I mean, the whole, the the love interest gets kidnapped by the villain type of thing, that was that was old even before 2011. Like by the, by the time Spider-Man three came along, audiences were getting kind of tired of that, of that, uh, of that trope. So well, yeah, I remember, I think it was around the time of Thor, the dark world where, you know, Marvel had like a come to Jesus moment where they were like, maybe we don't have the <laughs> same structure where the girl gets kidnapped and is not <laughs> helpful. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think it was right around like Thor, the dark world where we saw that shift out of that, story structure and there's well i think it was actually it was i think it was actually iron man 3 because that was when uh that was when pepper kind of like broke out and like kind of took over the 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 climax of the film yeah that's true um but yeah and then you've got um peter sarsgaard you know hector hammond like you said i thought he did a pretty good job again with what he was mark strong i think is probably the mvp of this movie he is great in this yeah um the fact that i like i hope like we get like some of these, like, you know what they're doing with, you know, the Marvel characters and they're kind of bringing in, you know, Hugh Jackman and things like that. Mm. I just hope that James Gunn, even though he's going all new, that we can like kind of pull Ryan Reynolds and Mark Strong in mm. maybe, you know, because Mark Strong is so perfect for Sinestro. Yeah. I mean, I think you could probably get Mark Strong. I think, <laughs> I think Ryan's probably pretty done with Green Lantern by this point. Yeah. <laughs> Um, in fact, you had mentioned the the Taika Waititi thing. Uh, did you ever see the interview they did about Free Guy when the promotion? No. So they were doing this interview with like the um, the other cast members of Free Guy and Ryan Reynolds and Taika Waititi. They were talking about how it's like, yeah, this is the you know we've been friends for a long time. This is the first time we've actually done a movie together. And the rest of the cast members like, wait, weren't you guys in another movie together a few years back? And Ryan and, and Taika were just like, mm, no, no, can't remember. They're like, yeah, yeah, wasn't it Green Lantern or something? And Ryan's like, I have no, 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 I don't remember that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Man. <laughs> Uh, I, sorry, go ahead. So I, no, no, I, I was, I wanted to talk about like where Ryan shines, like that moment with his family is so good mm. where he like walks in and he has that hesitation and then he's so like cavalier about it. And it, it, it all felt real and it all felt like how, like you mm. have this big, you know, air force moment, he gets fired or put under investigation and then you have the family and like all of that, like it's all tracking so far. Mm-hmm. Right. And even when he leaves the family, I don't care that he's like not sitting in the training simulator and that's where he gets pulled. I love that he gets pulled from his family because you've now shown like what the stakes are for him. Right. Mm-hmm. He's got this loving family that like his brother's mad at him, not because, you know, he wants to be mad. He's, he's mad at him because he doesn't want his brother to die. Yeah. yeah he has yeah. a kid that cares about him. That's like hugs him and is scared for him and his mother. You can see that there's all this stuff there. Mm-hmm. And then he gets pulled away to like join a space, like police force. Mm-hmm. And like all of that tracks and all of that can be followed. What, like, I don't know why it just loses me after that. Cause mm-hmm. like, Suddenly Carol shows up and she's kind of fine with him because it kind of worked out. And then he's in an alleyway and he beats up the working class with the first thing he does with his powers. (laughs) (laughs) The guys who lost his, their job because of him. No less. (laughs) 
<laughs> he grabs a fistful of like like bolts and he's gonna mm-hmm. hit him with them and then he just green lantern fists them. Well, I mean, it do- it does kind of fit the conservative ethos of the character if you know you you screw the working class and then you beat up on them just just for good measure. <laughs> yeah, we're we're going back to the Denny O'Neill days of how. <laughs> But like, like that's kind of where it starts to fall apart for me. But like, mm-hmm. you know, if in that moment, like the ring would have been like, um, you messed up, you have to report back to Oa. Mm-hmm. And so like, he then gets sent back up where at, right after that scene he does. And then he's faced with like the new world. And that's when the whole audience sh- should have been introduced. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the fact that they introduced the green lanterns before that. And we saw like Sinestro talking with the guardians. It, it loses that impact when Hal goes to Oa, because yeah, you're right. We should, the first time Hal sees Oa is the first time we should see it too. That should, that should be our, all of our transitions into that new world. Yeah. Cause now you're, now you're faced, you've seen one alien that was humanoid, but now you're seeing a fish person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, yeah. And, but also other characters too, like, you know, Angela Bassett, like she's not my first choice for Amanda Waller. I think, you know, I don't, I don't like going with an actress as so, so fit for Amanda Waller, but at the same time too, like that's, she's someone who's got the chops for that role and she does a pretty good job with uh, what she's doing. And even like the little, we get little, those little brief teases of her origin from the comics with Cabrini Green and the death of her, her, uh, her husband and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and and I love even uh, you know Senator Hammond, like the mm-hmm. father. Yeah, Tim know. Robbins. Yeah, another yeah. great actor who gets into this. Like, there's so much talent in this. Jeffrey Rush as Tamar Ray. Like you I mentioned, know. Michael Clark Duncan as Kilowog, who is you know amazing. Yeah, and then you get that ten minute sequence on Oa, and every moment of that, I was like, this could be longer. And then it would like the Tomar Ray and Hal. That mm-hmm. was great. And then like, all right, I need more. Oh wait. Okay. Now we're, now we're flying. All right. Now we've introduced Kilowog. Okay. Kilowog beats him up for five minutes and now he's getting beat up by Sinestro. And then Tomar Ray then explains, and that's where the exposition dump should have been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Also too, the, um, what was I going to say? I completely lost my train of thought there. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. It's, it's my fault. Um, uh, let's move on to something else. We'll probably, Oh, the, um, the, the mask I wanted to talk about, like, I don't know about you, but I couldn't understand why the need for Hal to get blue eyes, like these really ghostly looking blue eyes when his mask is on or they, I guess they're trying to kind of mimic the feel of like the white eyes from the comics, but it just felt very off putting for me. I, I agree with you about that. And especially when he does the oath for the first time, mm-hmm. I remember like, I like went back and rewatched it and he does like this trance. Right. And I, I it's like, it's being like sent to him by the ring because mm-hmm. the way that they explain it is, you know, the ring, which could be a character in and of itself that could be talking to him because it does do that in the comics. Mm-hmm. Like they take that aspect away. And so, it looks like he's not of his own volition saying this. Yeah. That, that, that bothered me as well. And you're taking agency away from the character, which once again, like all action should be driven by character. And that mm-hmm. felt like the action had dictated that the character has to say the thing because it's in the comic books. And they're going to say it now because 
they have to get it right so they can move on to the next scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was another thing that it, it, that bothers me, too, every time I see this, because I'm like, I'm like that that oath, the whole pur- purpose of an oath is that you are committing yourself to this idea. It it loses that if if the oath is done for you by this ring against your will. And that should have been something when the oath is explained to him on Oa or something like that. And it just and it, the fact that they they're they just did it that way to you know, to have a scene where, where Ryan Reynolds gets to make some, you know, joke oaths type of thing is, but it just, it, it sapped that scene of the, the weight it's supposed to have. Yeah. Like I, I like, I, I, I love that jokiness of it. I love the two infinity and beyond and fun. And then like he clinks it. And then like from there, it should have been like, you hear it. Right. Or Mm. like, you know, in brightest day where like it appears in like, you know, green letters around it Mm -hmm. and like, Or, you know, there could have been something visual or auditory that could have been done to guide it Mm -hmm. versus it feeling it felt like it took away his agency. Yeah. And it should be something that he willingly wants to do. Mm -hmm. Now, there was a perfect moment and I'm a screenwriter, so I keep doing all of these what ifs with this. And I'm sorry Mm -hmm. if that's. No, 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 no. That's (laughs) totally fine. Um, You know, he leaves Oa. After he's beat up by Sinestro and is like, I'm not good enough for this. Mm-hmm. He should have been with Sinestro at that massacre. That would have been because good. Yeah. if you see if he's at that massacre and you see people's like souls being dragged out of their bodies and flames and fire, like what happened to his father and you relate this giant, you know, smoke monster to the smoke and the fire that was around your father. Like then that's like, you have this visual, like, Nope, can't do that. Got to do this is, I'm not doing that. I just dealt with my family. I have to go Mm. back to them. Goodbye. And then like, you know what? That's cause the, the scene in the, in the dog fight, when he starts remembering his father, I, you know, like I said, that, that dog fight scene is great, but the, the flashbacks and the way he freezes up like that, I felt that was kind of drawn out and it felt a little bit out of place for that moment. And I think the way you're talking about, if if he had had like froze up or something in the plane, but we didn't see why. And then we get these hints about, you know, his father, when his, when his brother gets mad at him. And then if we then got the scene when, like, like you said, like your idea of where him and Sinestro find the bodies and then you get those flashbacks. I think that would have been so much more impactful. Yeah, and and it's like he 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 almost seems like too much of a coward, right? Mm. You're you're he's not faced with the threat. He's yeah. not faced with the existential threat that drives him home. No, it's just the and I want this is what I want to talk about. I, I remember this now, but it was the fact that he keeps you know quitting things. Like he quits he quits the core, he quits, you know, uh Ferris aircraft and then later when he's having that uh when he's talking with um with Carol and he's telling her, he's like, Oh, I quit. I quit. And she's like, she's like, why don't you, you know, try not quitting something you're, you're uh, like this for once. And it's just like, I get the point the movie's trying to make that he's quitting because he's afraid, but it doesn't do a good job of connecting those dots. And it, and you're right. It just feels like, you know, either he's a coward or he's just, you know, way too much of a slacker and to, to really to, or he's just too irresponsible to, to handle this stuff. Yeah. Um, so he goes back down, right? And then it's the party as far as I like of the next big scenes. Yeah. Mind you, I'm like cutting out like the intercuts with Hector Hammond. 
um, I don't think they add anything. You know what mm. I mean? It's not like they're parallel characters. Or it's not like they're equals. It's not like it's the Joker to his Batman and they're both being birthed at the same time. Right. They, they were making those parallels with Hector Hammond. And like one is gaining good powers and one is becoming evil when he's getting the ring. And it's mm. like, no, no, just focus on Hal getting the ring and yeah. then focus on Hector. Like, it felt like they were trying to do something similar to, you know, going back to Raimi's Spider-Man movies, like like what they did in the first Spider-Man movie with like Peter and Norman getting their powers. And but it the, the thing that they did in 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 Raimi's film is they did that really quickly. It was just like one or two seeds and that was it. This, it, it yeah. draws that out way too long. Yeah. And then, you know, it, then he's in the bed struggling and then he's in, it, I love the body horror element. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. I love that Hector Hammond should have that. Like it's, it's terrifying. Like mm-hmm. I don't want my head to grow to enormous sizes where then I am unable to walk. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. But I just don't like that there were those parallel shots. I feel like there should have yeah. been, once again, more to it. Because I don't even think Hector and Hal were introduced at that point yet. No, but no. They, they The first time they meet is at the party. And by that point, Hector's, I think he's he's already been infected. Because he got infected when Hal does the, the oath the first time. Yep. And so, if they're not connected... And the audience has not connected them. Like, why edit it that way? Mm-hmm. And it just seems a lot of this movie seems like studio overstep. Like, yeah, oh, you got to get the you got to get that intro in there with the sector twenty eight fourteen and all mm-hmm. that. And you got to get this in there, and you've got to. <clears throat> well, yeah, and like even like the whole. Although I will say, uh, one of the things I did like is when um, is when Hal goes to to Carol as Green Lantern. And he's like trying to put on a deep voice and everything. And she goes up. And she's like, she's like, how? And he's like, he's like, how'd you know it was me? And she's like, I, I she's like, I've seen you naked. Why do you think I wouldn't recognize you just because I can't see your cheekbones? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a, it's a, it's an awesome scene. Yeah. And, and, and I also love that he like immediately calls Tom, mm-hmm. you know, and he's like, alien found this thing. <laughs> like it, <laughs> it, it just makes sense. There's like natural stuff that's happening that, you know. I guess you, I mean, at this point you did have the I am Iron Man, right? So you mm. had that moment. So it's kind of, we're, we're slowly moving away from secret identities in these films and it's not as big a part of things. Right. So to have all these playful moments is, is great. And I think it all works. Well, it's cool. It's funny too. Cause you, you kind of see this, um, kind of see the the origins of the Arrowverse in here in some ways too with like the the love interest and the guy in the chair type of thing that Berlanti would use to to at first good effect and then to overdone effect in the Arrowverse um and you see you kind of see the the roots of that here with with uh with Tom and Carol both being in on the secret pretty much from the jump yeah definitely I I Berlanti I think you know did a good job. I just think that you, I, I really think there's so much studio involvement. I think, mm-hmm. you know, Warner brothers touts themselves as like our directors get the final cuts for their movies, but it doesn't seem that way with mm-hmm. a lot of DC. Yeah. You know, it seems that way with the Nolan movies. Like mm-hmm. You can tell like those Nolan movies, like those feel like a Christopher Nolan film. Joker felt like a Todd, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this feels like a warner brothers overstep yeah 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 definitely it i think the i think the um the fact that they were trying to 
have their Iron Man to set up a shared universe here. And you can see that so much with Amanda Waller and, Ar and Argus. The only reason they're in for this is because they wanted their version of S.H.I.E.L.D. to, yep. to link this to the rest of the, the what would have been a DCU. And, and one of the things that I think they're forgetting is because they were looking at Iron Man. They're like, oh, you know what? What Marvel did is they took this lesser known character and they built this franchise on it. So we should take one of our lesser known characters and build our franchise on it. I'm like, well, yeah, that worked, but that worked because Marvel didn't have the rights to their top tier characters. And also, yeah. you know, the Avengers is a uh, like as far as within the Avengers, like Iron Man is one of the top tier characters within the Avengers. Like Green Lantern, he's like Iron Man's part of the the, the Trinity in the Avengers Green Lantern is not part of that core of the, of the justice league in the same way. Like, so you have Batman, Superman and wonder woman. I can understand not wanting to do Batman and, and Superman again. So soon after the Nolan films and, um, and, uh, and uh, Superman returns, but then, you know, wonder woman would have been a great place to start off with as the first tentpole in your, in your, in your new universe. Yeah. And I remember joking, as Guardians was coming out, that like, oh, Marvel's gonna have a tree and a talking raccoon beat out Wonder Woman. Yeah. Film. <laughs> like, how is that okay? Like, that was. I remember there was a there was a meme going around at the time um, where it had uh, the scene of like um, uh, Jonathan and Clark from Man of Steel, and it said like DC, like the world isn't ready for a Wonder Woman movie, and then it it co contrasted with rocket and Groot in the bottom part of like Marvel. Like here's a talking raccoon with a gun and, a, and his tree friend. <laughs> oh, I don't think I saw that, but that's awesome. Yeah. That's like, it was like, it's, it was so disappointing to be a DC fan for so long. Mm -hmm. I feel like with like green lantern and then what they did with man of steel, like that was really jarring. Mm -hmm. Like in the, I don't know something about it in like watching superman snap the neck mm -hmm. like i remember looking around at everybody i was with and i was like did this happen are yeah. we okay with this yeah. like <laughs> i understand it and like philosophically we've talked it over so many times and i've talked it over with anthony so many times that like i'm kind of on board with it for what this is mm -hmm. but to launch what superman is and do that i think was where the fault was well i think all of this is that i think what dc keeps forgetting that worked with marvel is that it was it was a shot in the dark it was like they they didn't intend for that the whole the whole sam jackson cameo at the end that was just supposed to be like a fun little thing to toss in like that wasn't they didn't have any intentions of doing the avengers at that point they're just kind of like this is a hail mary so we get out of bankruptcy yeah and it worked and then they're like okay well then i guess we're doing this now <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm very excited for what James Gunn has upcoming. Mm -hmm. I, I'm all on board with his idea of what they're doing. And I feel like they're casting more like, you know, we're, they have already what just cast the engineer from the authority. Mm -hmm. So like, I think in this Superman movie, you're going to have like a moment where you see literally every DC character all at once. Well, yeah, because they mentioned like they cast like <laughs> Guy Gardner and a bunch of other people in it, too. So it feels like it like uh, it, they're doing something completely different from what I had initially thought they were going to do. So it's definitely interesting to see. I feel like they're building up to something about like the Superman versus the elite type of thing with but okay, with, the, yeah. with actually having the authority instead of the authority stand ins. 
that'd be awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but also, I want to talk a little bit about uh, Parallax in this, because I feel like that is one of the biggest missteps here, is using Parallax in this movie. It, it feels... I mean, I understand, you know, you want him in the background maybe because this is how Sinestro gets his fear ring. This is how Hector gets his powers. I'm, I'm okay with all that, but you don't then have Paralex be the big threat of this movie. You have Paralex be like the, the threat in like the third movie in a trilogy. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. Like when I was a kid, when I wrote it, I had used um, like this, like D list green lantern, villain i think it was legion and it's basically these tiny robots that form one giant robot Mm -hmm. and like out of nowhere following avin sir like as soon as he gets the ring legion came in and like swept hal away you know you have this threat that's like terrifying Mm -hmm. right That like he can't handle that's like completely alien but yeah parallax is that is world ending that is like you know that is a Thanos level threat. It is existentially a threat to Hal's in in like who he is, mm-hmm. at, you know, because he gets possessed by this thing. Yeah, yeah. And he throws it into the sun at the end of the mm-hmm. first movie. <laughs> like one of his biggest threats. Yeah, I feel like maybe that was a uh, Jeff Johns like talked. <laughs> putting his hand in and saying like we're not having hal go crazy in this in this world yeah (laughs) but which now that i think about i think that would have actually been pretty interesting if you build up to this like if you if you build up to this threat and then have like hal go crazy and like in like the third movie and then you completely flip audience expectations and you have to bring in a new green lantern then I was that's I mean that's that's what I wanted to do with my versions but like watching that scene once again with his family and that kid I was like sitting there and like I guess I don't know like a like a sociopath I was like oh my god imagine how many people you could hurt if you just like got yeah. rid of them yeah. <laughs> like you set up this scene and you've like revolved so much of him saving them around this that once you take them away like that you can understand how he would break mm-hmm absolutely yeah and that would also drive home that idea of like the of 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 the the whole overcoming fear aspect right if he succumbs to that fear like that and you know realizes that he can't he can't do this by by himself like that that would have really helped to to drive those messages from and instead it does feel like you know the like you said the whole idea of overcoming fear is really kind of suppressed or is just given lip service and it's not really for all we talk about, for all us writers hear about, and I, I, my son obviously agrees with me. <laughs> but for all we hear about, you know, this idea of, as writers, we're always told, you know, show, don't tell. Like, this movie does a lot of telling and not a lot of showing. Yeah. The, it's just, Parallax really seems shoved in. I don't know. I think, I know they, they did reshoots, because Warner Brothers movies tend to mm. do extensive reshoots all the time. Because they have so many executives involved for some reason and they just don't let the creative teams breathe, Mm -hmm. which I think I hope is happening with these James Gunn movies because he seems to even be in charge of like when things are released. Yeah. Excuse me. I mean, like I, I've got a lot of faith in Gunn because he seems to have, and I think he's shown this really well with the, with the guardians movies is that he seems to be able to, resist kind of like marvel's worst impulses and and 
whereas like he'll he'll do stuff and he'll like like I I mean I'm always blown away in the this how the how well the CGI is executed in the Guardians movies compared to some of the other ones, and the reason is because he doesn't you know he doesn't go in with the attitude of we'll fix it in post with CGI. He, he sets up CGI deliberately in his shots. And like, this is how we're going to use it. He plans it very well in advance. And I feel like he does the same thing with most of these movies too. And he, he's very good at, you know, focusing on what's really important and not getting distracted by the, the larger universe stuff. So I think, I think he's got a pretty good handle on, on it at DC, you know, Although hope, hoping, you know, hoping that Zaslav doesn't, you know, step in and screw things up like he is with everything else. Yeah. And, and and I think that's what worries me about Warner Brothers as a company when it comes to this stuff, because mm-hmm. they don't even know that they have this, like, all of the properties that Warner Brothers has could, like, bury Marvel films if mm-hmm. handled correctly. Yes. You know? And even, I feel like, I know the Batman did well, but I don't think it did as well as batman 89 or like mm. the nolan movies you know i i i love that movie but once again like warner brothers like they they have too much too many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to yeah. the higher level yes there. yeah well i think too one of the problems is that and probably one of the reasons why the batman maybe didn't do as well as some of those other films is because I think maybe a lot of audiences they went in and they're thinking like, wait, you got you got you're bringing in another Batman now. This is like what the third one now. So I think I feel like there's kind of a sense among um, among most of the audience that all right, this uh, this doesn't seem you know who knows how long this is gonna be gonna stick around. So maybe we should just sit this one out until we see if it develops any legs under it. Yeah. So, I once again, uh, love all the Oa stuff. Parallax is way too much at the end there. Um, how did he know where Hector was? That's a, That was what I wrote down in my notes, too. That That is just completely out of nowhere. It's just all of a sudden, you know, Hal bursts in with the... I'm like, wait, did I? And I remember, because we had planned to record this, uh, what was last month originally, and so I yeah. watched it then, too. And, and I dozed off watching it. So I'm like, wait, did, I think I missed a scene. And I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll check it up later on Wikipedia. And I checked in the, the plot summary on Wikipedia. I'm like, doesn't seem like I missed a scene. And then I was watching it last night. I'm like, nope, I'm wide awake. I did not miss anything. There is no reason why Hal should know about any of this happening. Yeah, he like crashes into an Amanda Waller like mm-hmm. <laughs> secret location. Yeah, like, that should be like like Batman levels of off the map. Like you should not know wherever this place is. It, it's a it's a plot hole that just like in uh, Dark Knight Rises, how Bruce suddenly goes from the middle of nowhere in this prison with no money. And all of a sudden he ends up back in, you know, uh, Gotham, which has been cut off from the rest of the country. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But see, what the Green Lantern doesn't have that Batman does have is that like it's Batman. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which you know, I, I I don't give too much credence to that, but you know, that's like audiences know, are willing to go with that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You can go with it's Batman for Batman, mm-hmm. but you can't go with like oh, it's Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah. what the ring whispered to him? What? There's nothing <laughs> he. You wouldn't know. Oh, there's a. And you could have even said in that scene with like Carol. Oh, there's a weird energy disturbance that mm. seems like, you know, yellow energy. Dis- and then go. But no, they didn't even do that. He just like flies in, and he's like Hector. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, it's just... And also, just the CGI. The decision to make the suit all CGI was, I think... At the time, I thought, oh, that's cool. That sounds interesting. But seeing what came out of it, just it's very clear the CGI was not at that level yet. And, no. and I think... And again, I think they were looking at Iron Man as too much of an example where they looked at Iron Man where, yeah, they, a lot of those scenes with the armor are CGI, but they mixed it with actual practical suit effects, too. They didn't do all CGI all the time. And that was a that was a big weakness because you watch this movie and it just there are times when some of these scenes, it looks like a PS2 cutscene. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I was looking after watching it um, while I was sitting here. I've been playing Mario RPG, too. So I was kind of like playing Mar the new Mario <laughs> RPG and then like Googling fan edits of the suit. And I don't think anything works because mm. I don't think the original suit would work. Right. Yeah. I don't think the classic green with the white gloves i don't think that'll work yeah i don't think that any of the fan edits i've seen have worked i definitely don't think the movie scene suit works mm -hmm. i saw the john stewart um for justice league Zack snyder's justice league and i was like okay that kind of works mm -hmm. but it's a hard thing to translate it, yeah i think the I think the best the thing that I think would work probably is is that that John Stewart suit from the Justice League TV show that's the animated series. I think that's the one where it's mostly black and you've got some of the yeah. green accents. I think that's really the only way to really make it work. And you can't make the green too bright, I think, too, because otherwise that would it, it looks very distracting. Like the the brightness of that green, it look it it it's green. It's really green. Yeah. I mean, even Taika is like, oh, green. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking for all of us there. <laughs> but honestly, too, I don't think you need a mask. Like, I think that mask is not really helping things at all. No, and I don't think the secret identity is necessary if you're a police, a space cop. No, yeah. I mean, the, I think if you're doing the secret identity thing, it's you could obviously deal with it with the fact that he's well he's surrounded by bright green aura anyway so his face is kind of obscured by that so i don't think you really need yeah. much more than that to really get across the secret identity thing absolutely we, we haven't talked about any of his like power usages i mean he does all of the classic hal mm -hmm. stuff there's like i don't think anything was like left out of like what hal is able to think of mm-hmm down to the fact that he doesn't even know how to call his ring to him because it's Hal Jordan <laughs> and he's that inept. <laughs> but like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought the, I thought at the party, like using the, the car and the, and the racetrack, I thought that was a pretty, maybe far more creative than Hal does in the comics, but I thought that was a pretty cool use of it. Yeah. And I think they do a good job with like showcasing the powers. I think mm. that all like, plays well and i think that the scenes on oa like i'm in on those even though like the cgi isn't fantastic i'm still like into those scenes and well, like, i mean I how the the swords work. that him and uh him and sinestro generate i thought those looked pretty cool like it was they were like real swords they had kind of like this like ethereal effect to it. i thought they worked pretty well yeah you um, know and the you know you get the boxing glove mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, I thought the constructs were were pretty well done. You know, janky CG. I mean, you expect them they're they're going to look unrealistic anyway, no matter how good the CGI is, just by nature of what they are. So I think they yeah. I think they worked pretty well for the most part. The constructs I got no complaint with. Um, 
It's just the suit in general being all CGI like that just doesn't work. And like the weird muscle texture on it too is also kind of an odd choice. It, it felt like are they trying to it. It felt like almost similar to like the logic behind the um, the the nipples on the bat suits in the Schumacher films. Like it doesn't have to be this anatomically correct. Yeah, I didn't. the 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 feet made me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Have you gotten like a good look at like how they're like they're like molded around? Yeah, his foot? that was weird. That was weird. And also <laughs> like the way that the it they don't it doesn't feel like you know like Carol says like why is your skin green? I'm just like so like so wait he's basically naked. That is what you're telling me here. This feels weird now. Yeah, pretty much. The yeah, it's just. I didn't also like that you would see like it it looked like energy was coming from the suit mm-hmm. through the ring. Yeah. It didn't yeah. look like it was coming from the ring, mm-hmm. which I know is like such a like too over the top nerd thing of me to like complain about. But like, why does it look like it's coming from the like little power battery in the center of the suit? through his arm then to the ring no you're right you're absolutely right i didn't really think about that too much but yeah that that's very true and i again i feel like this is another case of the iron man influence coming in because you know you've got this big glowy thing in the center of the chest the power is going to come from there oh right yeah i didn't even think about that um but it is also important to to note you know as much as a disappointment as this film was I mean, back at the time, it could have been a lot worse because the, some of the other things that Warner Brothers was tossing around in the development stages, like, you know about the the Jack Black version that they were working on for a while, right? I, I do remember the rumblings of that. Yeah, so there's, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, there was talk about, you know, I can't remember what the screenwriter was, but there was one screenwriter who was talking about how they were hired to write Green Lantern for Warner Brothers, and Warner Brothers' concept behind it was that it would have been a comedy film starring either Jack Black himself or like a Jack Black type actor. And it would have been like the whole idea is that the ring makes a mistake and finds the wrong person. And instead of finding like this capable uh, hero, it ends up finding this like total slacker. And like the climax of the movie would have been like the, the Jack Black character basically redoing the ending from Superman 78, where he creates like a Green Lantern version of Superman to fly back in time and solve the problem. Oh my God. (laughs) I didn't hear about that end. Oh yeah, that. yeah. It was also like they're even like back in the eighties too. There were rumblings about doing it still as a comedy, but with like Eddie Murphy involved. Oh my god, yeah, that's crazy. I man, it just shows how Warner Brothers just doesn't understand the property. <laughs> no, I mean it remind. This isn't a, a Warner Brothers thing, but it does remind me of um, when James O'Barr was talking about uh, his initial meetings with producers for The Crow and. He was sitting in this room with a bunch of uh, Hollywood executives, and one of them said, like, I got it. We can do this as a musical. We can get Michael Jackson to play the lead role, and it'll be great. And then Obar just starts bursting out into laughter because he thought he guy was making a joke. And then he realizes he's the only one laughing, and everybody's looking at him like he's crazy. <laughs> I was at a Comic-Con party um, out in San Diego Comic-Con, and I was hanging out with a couple people from Warner. And one of them said, tomorrow we're announcing Sandman. And this was 10 years ago. So this Mm -hmm. is before the show. So this is one of the many dead Sandman projects. Right, right. And he goes, we figured it out. Sandman's going to be our next Harry Potter. 
And I was like, and I'm like, I I don't know because I don't want to be mean, right? I don't mm-hmm. I, like it's not my when I'm hanging out with people, it's not my initial reaction to be like, right, well, that's right. dumb. <laughs> or like to just do that. I was just like, oh, okay. And I remember talking to my friend afterwards and just like spiraling and being like, what are they thinking? Oh my god. Like <laughs> Although, you know, being mean can sometimes benefit. That's how Kevin Smith got the Superman Lives screenwriting job. Right? He, that is fair. They asked, him, go... they asked him, how. what do you think of the script? And he's like, it, it's shit. He's like, you know, did you know, who wrote this? Did you pay for this? Can you get your money back? Did somebody's cousin write this? And it's like each day he comes, he brings bring him back in. It's like, tell him what you told me. Until finally he gets up to Lorenzo. And then he gives, he gives and then he, Lorenzo's the first one says, well, what else would you do differently? Yeah. Man, at least I remember it very clearly. So if like at the end of life we can go back to like prior save points, it's definitely a save point in my <laughs> yeah. head. Where I can be like I can go and change that reality. But man, I remember I was just like, oh God, is this how it all works? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um now kind of the last thing to talk about is, is kind of the future. So we we got teased Green Lantern a bunch through the Arrowverse, right? With um you know, uh, the whole idea that John Diggle might be John Stewart. And then, you yep. know, we kind of got that confirmed. We met his his father and then he finds what looks like the Green Lantern ring at the conclusion of Arrow. But then it just turns out it's not, I guess. I can't really remember how that shook out. It was weird. But um, and then there was supposed to be like the HBO Max series that ended up getting uh, canceled. And now there's the um, the the DC Universe. They said they're going to be doing a um uh, a new TV show called Lanterns, and it's going to be um, starring Hal Jordan and John Stewart. Um, but then we're also going to have Nathan Fillion as Guy Gardner in uh, Superman Legacy. So, yeah. what's kind of your take on all that kind of stuff that's been floating around there? I love the direction that it's going in. I love that you're including John Stewart with Hal. I remember when the movie was coming out, there was this big backlash and they were like, Green Lantern's not white. Mm-hmm. And like as someone who read the comics, I was like, what are the what are like what are you talking about? Well, I remember that and, like, was um of course Hal is like Yeah, yeah. I remember that was Neil Adams' big thing too, because he said at the time he was saying, you know, why would you do Green Lantern with Hal Jordan when an entire generation knows him as John Stewart? Yeah. And like, to me, like that completely changed my perspective. Once I saw like people only knew Jon Stewart, Mm -hmm. like no one knew how no one knew Kyle because of the cartoon. That is the Green Lantern, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like, so it's complete, it's, it's brilliant to have them both there. Right. Mm -hmm. You now have two of these characters. Um, Am I holding out hope for a Kyle? Always. Yeah. Like just, (laughs) I, I just think that that is where like you know he is the luke skywalker of the green lantern story and how will always be the darth vader to me well yeah i think that was what works so well about kyle because if the whole theme is overcoming fear then having a character who's fearless is (laughs) kind of working against you right there from the from the start but having a character who is always like second guessing himself who's very unsure of himself i think is a perfect uh character to have in that role yeah. And I love Jon Stewart as well, just how his mind works with the ring and how mm. like everything is so detailed and he brings his like, you know, architect and he brings his military mm. and like that with Hal then who is like you have Jon Stewart basically I'm assuming is going to be like the like straight guy and then Hal's going to be like the like 
the one who's kind of off the handle, mm-hmm. I would assume, with that partnership. Yeah, it'll you be know. it'll be interesting to to see. Uh, what about what do you think about Fillion as uh, as Guy Gardner then? I mean, that's perfect, and I'm very excited for James Gunn to put him in an orange bowl cut. <laughs> Has he said that he'll give him the bowl cut? He's made a joke about okay. it, but I don't know if that's going to be a serious thing. I mean, yeah, because, you know, because Fillion did a lot of uh, voice work for, for Hal in the animated movies, and I thought he did a great job as Hal in those, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, if someone's going to get me interested in Hal Jordan outside of Ryan Reynolds, it would probably be Nathan Fillion, but you know, having him as guy, I think is even better because it's, he, he can definitely bring that cockiness to that role. Absolutely. Did you see the newer origin for Jon Stewart with beware my power? No, not yet. It's really good. I think they do a really good job of like kind of giving him a very, like almost a similar kind of background to Hal, but Mm -hmm. like, instead of it being from Avin Sir, it's kind of coming from Hal. And I think it was just a really like, well done way to kind of flesh out Jon Stewart's backstory a little bit, yeah. you know, stronger. Yeah, I've got that. So I am curious to check in it, check out that because I've all, I also see that uh, Green Arrow is a, uh, is a, is a big player in that too. And I, and I love me some Green Arrow. So I'm looking forward to, nice. to seeing that. Um, but th- this was a fun conversation, Ralph. Thank you for, for coming on. I really enjoyed talking about this movie and finding some uh, good things to say and also some, some things, not so good things to say about it. I know. I really wish I could have defended it a lot more, but I came away. Um, I came away not feeling great about it, not feeling bad about mm-hmm. it, just kind of feeling bored about it. Yeah. Which after all of this time, like having such strong feelings towards it, to now have no feelings towards it is very. It's a strange feeling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do, I do have one more thing on my notes that I want to bring up. Oh though. sure, absolutely. And it's when uh, Kilowog goes. Can I train him or what? <laughs> and I was just like, for all of the five minutes, Kilowog, you did a great job. <laughs> yeah, Michael Clark Duncan, R.I.P. Man, he was a he was a great one. Also a great kingpin too. Like up until we got Vincent D'Onofrio, he was he was like I I thought like if they bring anyone back, they should bring back him as kingpin. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, this was this was fun. Um, uh, if you have anything you'd like to promote, uh, please go ahead and tell people where they can find you. Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram as at Ralph Puma. All of my links are there. Uh, you can find my music. You can find Solace. You can find my weird um, explaining the occult via, you know, how conservatives have infiltrated politics in weird ways. Mini doc called Satan Mania. Oh, that sounds all interesting. Of the, all of the strange things I work on and... All of the podcasts I'm on with Anthony as well, you can find all on that link tree that's on uh, the Ralph Puma Instagram. Um, go check out my music. Go check out my show. That's oh. that's all I got. Awesome. Yeah, well, we'll have links to that stuff in the show notes. Um, as for us, we are SuperheroCinephiles.com is the website. We are Super Cinema Pod on Blue Sky and Instagram. Uh, we're also on Threads. I'm not sure. I think it's also Super Cinema Pod on Threads as well. Um Technically, uh, we have a Twitter page, but uh, now that Elon Musk has completely come out and gone full Nazi, I'm not going to be over there really at all anymore. So you could fi- better find me on Blue Sky or Threads. Uh, and, you know, 
contact me through the fa- the webpage if you want. Also, don't forget, we've got the comic book, Paragons of Earth, that I've done with Thomas DJ and Eric Johns. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, hopefully the funding will be completed, but you'll still be able to pick it up. So you can check that out at crowdfunder.com slash paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder, no E, dot com slash paragonscomic. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. Superhero Cinephiles is produced by me, Percival Constantine, with the support of Zencaster. The show is created by myself and the late, great Derek Ferguson, our host Emeritus. Visit us on the web at SuperheroCinephiles.com to listen to past episodes or find out how you can be a guest yourself. Support the show by visiting our advertiser links or click the Buy Me a Coffee link on the website to make a one-time donation. You can also support us by visiting crowdfunder.com slash paragonscomic. That's crowdfunder with no E dot com slash paragons comic and help support my superhero comic book paragons of earth we are super cinema pod on both instagram and blue sky so please be sure to follow us we'd also appreciate if you could rate and review the show on apple podcasts and share us with your friends Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.